good to be here in the house of the Lord today. Amen. It's uh, always a privilege to be able to, to deliver a lesson, a sermon, uh, to speak out forth that which um, God has laid upon my heart to be able to, uh, to hopefully bless your hearts with. Uh, I want to say thank you to Pastor Brad and just the ability to, to come forward and do that. And uh, again, just say that uh, our prayers with him this week, uh, along with Sharma Lewis, our bishop, as they uh, do go forward in the, the business side, but also I hope in a deep spiritual side um, for our church uh, in these next year, few years. So I uh, do want to remind everyone just to keep them in prayer this week as you go through your prayer life. So, as we, we have been in the, the series Sharing Jesus, uh, what is your story? It's uh, been an amazing time these past two weeks just to, to think about and to go over the things that God has done for us and what it is and how it is that we're able to proclaim that to others. As a student pursuing a degree in biblical studies and psychology, I've come across many fascinating topics uh, in my readings for the, the classes I've taken. One of the most captivating things I've learned is in the area of psychology, and that is that of phobias. As defined by Webster's Dictionary, a phobia is an extreme or irrational fear of aversion to something. In common tongue, it means that you're scared of something. Here are a few fears people suffer in that are very interesting, to say the least. Ablutophobia is the fear of bathing or cleaning oneself. As, as we see here, this is kind of an argument in the midst. We see the middle of the argument of son, I told you, do not get dirty. Many a times I've been in that situation. Ergophobia is the fear of the workplace or work itself. A lot of us might suffer from that. Nomophobia, now this is more and more common these days, is the fear of not having cell phone service. A lot of our youth, I'll just poke the bear with that one, they're definitely nomophobias. Neophobia is the fear of new things. Unknown circumstances. As interesting as these fears are to those of us who might not have experienced such things, they are very real and sometimes paralyzing to those who have them. I have the most compassion for those souls who suffer with pagodophobia which is the fear of eating cold foods, such as ice cream. Now, as I've lifted off many of the fears out there in our world, there's one fear that reigns supreme over all the others. Some might think that that is the fear of arachnophobia, or the fear of spiders. Others might think that is the fear of enclosed spaces, or claustrophobia, would be the king of all fears. But alas, they would be wrong. The number one fear people have is the fear of speaking in public. Dr. Glenn Croston estimates that 20 million adults in the U.S. suffer from some type of deep social anxiety disorder and that some 238 million people in the U.S. have an aversion to speaking to others. So that, that seems to be a pretty big problem when Jesus tells his disciples and us in Matthew 28, verses 19 through 20, to go therefore and make disciples, teaching them to, deserve, to observe all I commanded you. So Jesus has asked us to yet again get out of our comfort zones and engage those around us to share his great love for them and to not only share, but to disciple others. As we learned from last week's lesson in Romans 10, 13 through 14, 
For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? So God, through the Apostle Paul, is showing us that unless we push aside our comfort zones, there is a strong chance, if not a definite, that many of our friends, neighbors, workmates, and even our family will not hear the greatest story ever told, which is that God created a good thing. We as humanity messed up the good thing. God relentlessly pursued his people by delivering them time and time again. In that process, giving them the law to point out the need for a Savior, then providing that Savior in Jesus Christ, who lived a sinless life and was rejected by those whom he came to save. He was crucified after being denied by close friends, was buried in a borrowed tomb, and for three days, dead. Praise God that that is not the end. See, my friends, God is called the author of life for a reason. For though lay Jesus in the darkness of a tomb for three rotations of the sun, in one moment, early in the morning on that third rotation, with a light that would make the sun blush, Jesus came back to life. That is the greatest story ever told. But wait, there's more to the story. Can you guess what it is? You know how it ends, because if you've ever read Revelation of John, located in the back of every Bible, you can see how it ends. But I want us to, what I want for us to look at today is not the end, but the stories that will be told in heaven about the people of Timberlake United Methodist Church and their courage to step outside of their comfort zones and take the risk to tell how this body, bodily resurrected God-man named Jesus entered their lives and gave them a new chapter in their story. Isn't that what God has done for us? In the story of our life, he allows for us to pen chapters. For some of us, we were but a few paragraphs into our story before God revealed himself and Christ entered in. For others, it might be near the middle. And even for some of us, it might be right before the, the end. No matter when he has shown up, we can know that he has always been in pursuit of our heart and has always put forth his provenient grace to us that we would come to him and experience the beauty of salvation and the exercise of sanctification with him. God is good, y'all. His story and our story with him is worthy of telling. That leads us to our scripture for this morning. And if you would, please turn with me to Psalm 71. I'll read for us verses 15 through 18 out of the Amplified Version. Again, 15 through 18, starting in verse 15. My mouth shall tell of your righteousness and of your deeds of salvation all day long, for their number is more than I know. I will come with the mighty acts of the Lord, and in his strength I will make mention of your righteousness, yours alone. O oh God, you have taught me from my youth, and I still declare your wondrous works and miraculous deeds. And even when I'm old and gray-headed, O oh God, do not abandon me until I declare your mighty strength to this generation, your power to all, your power to all who are to come. So first off, we see here that David, the shepherd boy who slew the giant man Goliath and became king of Israel, expressed the overflow of his personal relationship with God. He declares to the reader the journey that God has been with him through the courageous acts of valor on the military theater in his youth and until the time he is old and gray. David knew he had a story and was willing to speak of it. 
is much like how Pastor Brad shared with us over the past few weeks with telling our story simply by starting with, let me tell you what God has done for me. David also knew the author of his story was God and that in the good, bad, and ugly of his choices, God was and would continue to be with him. So this brings us to a question I believe we must be willing to wrestle with, that being, do I believe that God has been and will be with me? In order for us to tell our story with confidence and power of the Holy Ghost, I believe we must come to an understanding that God is for us and will never leave us nor forsake us. We as Christians should realize that when we commit ourselves to the discipline of God in prayer, we start to see our lives invigorated with the very power of God to accomplish more than we could ever imagine. We are able in that place of intimacy with God to activate the unique gifting God has given us and impact all of creation with that great story that God has given us and us alone. So how do we do this? How do we gain the heart to share our story? Ultimately, His story. Well, I'll put it forth in to, to four proposals. And I propose that we must make a friend, be a friend, share your story, and let God do the rest. So we'll start with making a friend. Making friends comes naturally to some of us. For others, it might be tougher. For all of us, there are people in our lives that if we were to put forth the effort, we would be able to create friendships with them. As I speak this out, there is more than likely someone who comes to mind in this very moment. That is, in this pre-friendship category. In order to engage that person, it might be simply asking to meet up for coffee, lunch, or even being super bold and inviting them over for dinner. Now Jesus took this and, of course, raised the bar. We look at Luke 19, 5 through 6, and it's a familiar text for a lot of us. It's the story of Zacchaeus. When Jesus came by, and this is verse 5 through 7 again, when Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. For Zacchaeus was in a tree trying to see the Savior preaching. Quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly came down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He had gone to be, to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. We see here that Jesus not only recognizes publicly a man who would have been despised, but invites himself over to his house. Jesus invites himself to his house. Jesus was a velvet hammer, soft yet powerful, a true vision of manhood and meekness. In this, Jesus shows us that we should lay down our social barriers for the sake of making friends. He shows us in the sublime beauty of saying yes to those who are not on your economic, social, and spiritual level in order to establish a relationship that is not based on earthly models of action, but on a way of being and mirrors the kingdom of heaven. Jesus made friends everywhere, and usually those men and women were the fringe of society. Next, we look at what it is to be a friend. Colossians 3, 12-14 in the English Standard Version says this, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. As we read here in Paul's letter to the church at Colossae, 
we have to clothe ourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. So as we would choose a sweater instead of a t-shirt in the middle of winter, we should also prepare ourselves for the climate of relationships with others by developing Jesus-like characteristics. This means that as we pursue Christ and become more like Him, we begin to grow in confidence and compassion. Because like Christ, as we gain more intimacy with God, we start to trust His ability over our own. As we are able to trust God more, it develops us into new, a new boldness to love things that God loves and to hate the things that He hates. We start to look outside of our comfort and start to look inside the darkness, knowing in confidence that we bring the light of Christ. Some people need the fire we have to see. Some people need the fire for its warmth. Others need that fire to burn off the things that are hindering them from a full and lasting relationship with God. So I would like to challenge us in the safer space of these walls to look around. We have grown as a church body. We plan to have, we plan to have continued growth both in numbers and in depth of our love for God and in the quality of our worship to Him. Timberlake United Methodist Church is a very special place and means a lot to me and my family. We have been met with great hospitality and many servant-hearted people, and I commend you on that. We truly feel like this was home from the moment we stepped into this building. That's not because of the building. That's because of the people who are here in this room. Amen? Being a friend will require us to listen to the story of those we reach out to. We can find out that, that person's story by asking questions of them. Things like, where did you grow up? What have you found to be most fun thing to do on the weekends? Ask them of their hobbies. Ask them about their children, their grandchildren. In simplicity, ask them the questions you would love to answer if some strange person was to ask you something. The Billy Graham Evangelical Association pen this next paragraph, and I just wanted to read it. Inasmuch, show those close to you that you care. Spend time with them. Help meet their needs and offer to listen when they have problems. You might not be able to answer all their questions, but they can't deny the reality of what Christ has done in your life. If you find this hard to do, perhaps God is speaking to you about your own need to walk more closely with Him every day. You'll be amazed how asking questions will develop common ground and put in place a foundation for further growth in that relationship. It will be more likely to, to lead to our next point. In asking others' story of them and actively listening to them, you'll be more likely to be asked of your own story. Alan Lloyd McGinnis says this, People with deep and lasting friendships may be introverts, extroverts, young, old, dull, intelligent, homely, good-looking, but the one characteristic they all have in common is openness. So our next point is to share your story. As the foundation for friendship has been made, we now move on to sharing our story. The best way to share your story is to live out a godly life. The reason so many people are turned away from church and in so a life lived for Jesus is due to their perception of hypocrisy by those who call themselves Christians. We just spoke of the things we clothed ourselves with in order to develop our character to resemble that of Jesus. This is a task that we must do every day. We are to daily be crucified which was the greatest act of kindness and humility the world has ever seen in Jesus. We learn from the very mouth of Jesus that the greatest love a friend can have is to lay his or her life down for another. Let me tell you what God has done in my life. I grew up in a small community in Conyers, Georgia. 
I had a local celebrity as a grandmother. I remember never entering and leaving a store without my grandmother having reached out to someone with a word of encouragement and a smile that would have shattered the stone heart of Pharaoh. Dixie, that was my grandmother's name, never met a stranger and more, more than likely would have any new person she met in church by Sunday. I grew up believing that it was weird to keep to yourself, and I have a gregarious personality more than likely today due to watching my grandmother in her relentless pursuit of others. When I went off to college back in 2002 to this unknown region of Central Virginia, my grandmother was very proud. I know Dixie would be proud to have seen last week as you all prayed for me to have the strength to carry out the duties as assistant pastor here at Timberlake. Now, as my story goes, I grew up with a loving and providing mother and a father who was providing but chose to go back into the Navy. The reasons for him rejoining are for another time to talk about, but for the sake of understanding, not many of the wise voices in his life were in approval of his choice to go back into the military. So I was raised by my mother, grandmother, and in some ways Heather, my sister, four years my senior. I grew up going to church and learned many foundational verses and values in which I have built off of and still enjoy to today. However, I was not raised to know Jesus as Lord. Jesus was just a good moral character, and his life was chronicled in the cold, huge book people call the Bible. Now, this wasn't because my grandmother or mother didn't model it to me. It was just my ignorant choices. When I was around 12 years of age, our family went through a difficult season. Poor choices led to crosswords, and seeds of despair were sown into our lives. We as a family tackled many of these issues alone and did not seek out the church, and in some of our lives we were met with judgment rather than grace by those in the church. In that time of turmoil, I had a friend. His name was Daryl Riser, who asked me to go with him to church. I went with the Riser family, who was like my own, to a church located about 30 to 45 minutes from our houses. I spent the next four or five years of my life going to that church every time the church doors were open. That church was alive with the presence of God and was contagious with their hospitality, much like Timberlake. In the first few minutes of entering that church, I was led by Daryl to a man that would forever change my life. His name was Chris Rumble. Chris was the student ministry's pastor, but more than that, Chris was a friend of Jesus. The same sweet spirit that was on mantle of my grandmother rested on Chris. It was February 14, 1993, when I walked into Sunday service as a hopeless kid and it was February 14, 1993, when I walked out of Sunday service as a child of the Most High God. Chris had been praying for me. Chris had asked me my story. Chris had told me his, and Chris offered Christ to me. And I walked into the family of Eastwood Baptist Church and into the larger family of God. I sought my own way for a season due to my own immaturity and pride from the ages of about 16 to 19. In that time, my mother and grandmother prayed for me to realize my stupidity. I did. Prayers of the righteous. When I was around 20 years of age, I fell down in the presence of God in a prodigal moment, realized that God had never left me. In fact, he was always in pursuit. Again, stories for another time. I repented of my sin and I walked toward my calling of being a pastor of youth that I'd received from God soon after I began to walk with him as my Savior. In that moment, I made a decision to allow God full right up to my life I realized my control to him, I released my control to him and made Jesus Lord. This decision has messed my life up. I had many ideas and thoughts for how my life should go. I had no plan when I was living for myself to ever sacrifice or to ask for the struggle of walking with someone through their struggles. 
I had no plans to do anything for anyone that ultimately would not benefit me. But when you give Jesus the right to mess you up, He sure will. Since that moment when I was 20, I've been asked, I have been asked by God to lay aside close relationships. I've also been asked to make relationships with people I didn't like. I have been asked to sit, wait, stop concerning good, good plans that I had made, which I was sure were beneficial. I've also been asked to do things that were uncomfortable, yet beneficial. I've been asked to leave behind comfort. I have found comfort as well in amazing new ways. All in all, the plans that I had cannot compare to that that God had allowed me to have. Over the past 16 years, God has taken me to over 15 nations. He's allowed me to form friendships with people on five continents, given me the greatest gift apart from Himself in Bethany, my wife, and in that relationship, my four top disciples, Hayden, Holden, Heath, and Ainsley. My story is a story of my, of my faithlessness and God's relentless pursuit. It is not easy to follow Him. However, in following Him, I have found love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. I have found a good father and a fierce lover. God is good, y'all. That's my story, and that is what God has done and is continuing to do in my life. So as we grasp that we are to make a friend, be a friend, share our story, we come to the final point. Let God do the rest. This does not let us off the hook. This actually puts us as the worm on the hook. Our story and our life is the bait that God uses to show others His great love for them. Our story leads others to know their story in God. See, friends, it's, a God, it's God's kindness that leads people to repentance. It's God's kindness that He woos us to the cross. When we realize the great sacrifice given, there our only response can be life and worship back to God. Our purest form of worship is in our life poured out for others. So in our journey with God, we realize that ultimately the results of our attempts to befriend others should be simply motivated to make them, shouldn't be motivated just to make them a Christian. Our attempts should be made out of our intimate and close relationship with Jesus, and from that close relationship, we will want to share the beauty of knowing God. Ultimately, salvation is a step we all have to make toward God on our own. It is our great joy to offer our lives for others and by that telling of our story to them. It is God's great ability to save, and it is only through the work of God, through His saving grace and the power of the Holy Spirit, that someone comes to know Him. So our responsibility is to be in fervent prayer for the lost. We should be abundant in our hospitality toward our neighbors and willing always to open our lives and tell our story to all we come in contact with. Knowing that when we do these things we see our Father doing, we will ultimately see our Father do abundantly more than we ever could thought possible with our story. So we see the reason why David was so confident in his story in Psalm 71. And I close with its reading again. My mouth shall tell of your righteousness and of your deeds of salvation all day long, for their number is more than I know. I will come with the mighty acts of the Lord God, and in His strength I will make mention of your righteousness, yours alone. O God, you have taught me from my youth, and I still declare your wondrous works and miraculous deeds. And even when I am old and gray-headed, O God, do not abandon me until I declare your mighty strength to this generation, your power to all to come.
Amen. As a church, we give thanks, Matt, for 